Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Fortune Child with Melanie Joe And Buddy Crump. And we're on uh, the Cooper Rock with Jay Scott. Everybody, what's happening? What's going on? It is Jay Scott once again on the Hook Rocks podcast, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well. Spring is upon us. The weather's warming up, at least temporarily. We never know here in Chicago. The weather can change in 20 minutes. So, uh, but we're enjoying, as we speak right now, a mid 60s day. So, uh, hopefully that continues because it's always nice when the weather warms up and all that dreariness and that brownness and that coldness just goes away and things start to come alive again. It's a great uh, period of the year. Once again, as I always mention, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music-related podcasts. We've got all different types of genres covered on the Pantheon Podcast platform. Some of my friends that I always mention are the Hanging and Banging Podcast with Carmen a piece in Vinny Apice with Ron and Esty, the local Chicago promoter, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, and my great friends, Tom Zeus on the number one rated kiss podcast, shout it out loudcast. Don't forget to follow us wherever you do podcasts, whether it's Amazon, Spotify, or Apple, we're available on every platform. Set your app to automatic download so you get the latest Hook Rocks podcast whenever we do drop a new episode. We've had some fantastic episodes to begin the year. We had Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy, the great uh, guitar player, talking about the legacy of Phil Lineup, the new documentary, Songs for While I'm Away, and what's happening with Thin Lizzy's putting together a collection of musicians to be touring to pay tribute to the music of Thin Lizzy and Phil. So hopefully that happens at the end of the year, early next year. We've had some great new music spotlights with great bands like Joyous Wolf, Scarlet Rebels, uh, good, uh, Georgia Thunderbolts. We just had Fortune Child on too as well. We've got plenty of uh, new rock for you to listen to. And don't forget to check out our year end 2021 celebration that we did back in January, six hours of new music, new albums from legacy artists, unknowns, and new emerging bands. Uh, we did our top 30, what we talked about, about 160 albums from 2021. All you music geeks and nerds will love it. 
So go check it out. Uh, we always enjoy doing our episodes when we, when we review either the year or the quarter. And coming up in April, we'll be doing our first quarter 2022 album rankings, our top 10 rankings. We've got a, another great guest for you today. Um, it is an honor to have this guest. You guys know who follow me, who listen to this podcast frequently. I talk about an event in my life, Memorial Day weekend, 1983. I was eight years old and the Us Festival was on cable. And I've been listening to these bands because I had an older brother who was four years older than me. So he would always bring these albums in, whether it was Van Halen, whether it was Judas Priest, Triumph, all these acts that he would be listening to. And of course, me bringing the younger brother, I put my ear up to the door because I wasn't allowed in his room because that's just how older brothers are sometimes. And I would just listen to this music. Whenever he was out with his friends, I'd sneak in and listen to the albums. And this event put that audio that I was listening to those albums that I was listening to with a face, with images, with these bands that I had never seen before on stage all day long. My parents had a party, a barbecue. My brother and I were glued on the screen watching this great event, which uh, I think Rob Helford said there were 700,000 heavy metal maniacs there. And I don't doubt that number because it was huge. The band is triumph and the guest is singer, drummer, Gilmore. What's happening, Gil? How are you? Hey, Jay. Nice to, uh, nice to be on the show. And uh, yeah, back to the weather forecast there. It's pretty much the same in Toronto today as it is in uh, Chicago. So <laughs> it's a nice day. Yeah, it is a nice day. We, you know, they'll be coming more frequent, but it's nice to have those first couple of days of the year, you know, where you're, you, know, you got the, uh, the windows down and, and it's feeling like uh, things are progressing. You know. Yeah, not quite time to open the swimming pool, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. the snow should be gone in another couple of days, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we've got lots to talk about. We've got the new documentary, which I had a chance to view last week, uh, more legacy talk about Triumph. I had Mike on last summer. We had a chance to talk with him about a lot of things, too. We did. We talked the Allied Forces anniversary um, but before we, we, we begin, we always talk or always ask the same first question every time we have a first time guest. And that is really what the show is about. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Wow. You know, a couple moments, really. I mean, I think when I was about 12, um, I was at my friend's cottage and uh, in Port Credit, in Port uh, Elgin, excuse me, which is in uh, Ontario here. And uh, we went into a place called the Cedar Crescent Casino, and I saw my first ever live live band with a live set of drums. They were called the Comets, and I just couldn't believe what a set of drums sounded like and how cool it seemed to be <laughs> to be able to hit them and smash the cymbals. The fascination was just, it was like over, overwhelming for a 12-year-old. So that's thats what got me hooked. But I think I've been re-hooked a few times too, you know, on, on music. Like as far as, uh, you know, some of the highlights for me is like, I think with rock bands, maybe really getting into the the groove of, of Led Zeppelin's compositional rhythmic structures and so on at one point was... Uh, um really something as far as an individual drummer uh 
getting next to Buddy Rich once in my life. Um, couldn't understand what he was playing, frankly, because I was still, I think I was about 16 when that happened. So I was pretty, pretty green behind the ears. But yeah, hearing those drums shake, uh, rattle and roll, that was a pivotal moment for me. And I, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of great moments, uh, Jay. Like I said, I think, uh, I think I've been rehooked a bunch of times. I still, I still get hooked. I hear something new now and I go, man, oh man, you know, what some great creativity can do to make you feel good. Um, uh, you know, you know, li- listening, um, over the last, I'm going to say four or five years, maybe six. If I said, well, what was the most recent hook? It would be, uh, when ZZ Top re- released, uh, 25 lighters, you know, um, got to get paid. That song was up. ZZ's a big, I'm a big ZZ fan. And that song was just, I don't know that that was the one that was the hook in the, in the most recent decade. Let's say that. Well, ZZ top. I mean, one of my favorite songs being from Chicago is Jesus left Chicago. Um, just an absolute killer tune. Yeah, there's there's just about nothing. My my kids kind of joke, you know, when whenever we're if we're listening to music and somebody happens to say, "Oh, what do you want to hear?" Or, you know, any one of my kids go, "Well, Dad wants to hear ZZ Top," so there's no question about that. <laughs> you know, it was there. That was a unique experience for me growing up. Obviously, The Eliminator was a big album when I yeah. was younger, and I didn't really know their older stuff until much later on, and. You know, everyone, all the older cousins I had or, you know, people in the neighborhood say, oh, you got to listen to the older ZZ Top. And I'm like, what are they, what are they talking about? Eliminator is fantastic. And well, it is a fantastic album. Man, that old, that older stuff is just, I mean, they, they, they caught magic in a bottle with, with those uh, first three albums that they had. And, and, uh, you know, just uh, a, a tremendous force in rock and roll and blues too, as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of relate to when I first discovered bands, you know, so, you know, ZZ Top started, you know, just a little bit before Triumph. And and when they recorded, uh, you know, Tush, I think was on Fandango, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. You know, that was sort of the first introduction to that. And then, of course, before we knew it, uh, they recorded that in the warehouse in New Orleans, which was this massive i don't know whether you'd call it a club or a ballroom or what you'd call it but you know we ended up you know down there going through louisiana and and uh, texas and so on and before you know it we were playing the same venue and th- i was thinking about the their songs being recorded there and so on and i've been a fan ever since you know i remember uh seeing acdc when we were in texas and they were getting started around the same time as as we were when it's, rick and i went to see them at Palmer Auditorium in Austin and they, you know, Angus came out and with Bond and did whole lot of Rosie. And I became, you know, speaking of your hook comment there earlier, I became hooked. That was my favorite ACDC song from that moment on. <laughs> what about the urge to get up on stage and be in a band? You mentioned the comments, you mentioned about getting rehooked. Was there a moment, was there a performance that you saw that said, I, w- I want to do this. I want to be in a band. No, I was just scared to death. You know, I I remember seeing, um, you know, I'm trying to remember this when this would have kicked in, but you know, most musicians they they play in bands and they play 
they're not successful. So they play little wee dives and or they play, you know, ball ballrooms in, in church basements and that sort of thing. So, you know, you see a, a like a big band that's headlining an arena and you go, wow, how do those guys do that? That must be that must be terrifying. I mean, maybe there's some that, you know, that don't feel that way. Maybe there's some that aren't intimidated and feel like, hey, I belong up there. But I wasn't one of those guys. I was like, wow, how do those guys do that? You know, I was I was doubting myself. And that was just something that I had to overcome to actually do it. And I think the fact that I started also, uh, you know, being interested in in sound and lighting and stuff. And, you know, the first band that I hung around with when I was uh, in, in, in grade, grade nine at high school, like I just asked if I could be the roadie, right. That's, that was the start. That was the entry point, you know? So, uh, but yeah, there was that magic moment when, uh, a couple times, I guess, a couple different size venues. I mean, I remember the first time, you know, Triumph played, uh, a, you know, a concert hall that let's say had 1500 people. And I realized, oh, that was no big deal. And then, you know, the next time we played one that was, say, 5,000, and it was like, oh, well, that was no big deal. And then what happens is you finally end up, and somebody's asked me that about the US Festival that you mentioned, and you say, well, what happens when you're on stage and there's like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people? And I go, you know what? Actually, it's a lot easier. Because when you're starting out, the very first time I ever played drums was at a wedding. I mean, talking professionally, where I was setting my kid up and I knew at the end of the night I was going to get paid, you know, a dollar 49 or whatever, whatever we got. And, you know, there was probably 75 people at the wedding. And all I could think about was, well, they're all dancing. And if I mess it up, they're not going to be able to dance. So there was pressure. By the time we played the US Festival and there's hundreds of thousands of people, we come out on stage. They love us. So they're they're just cheering. We haven't even done anything yet. So, you know, it's not it's not likely you're going to get fired when you have all those fans. But when you have no fans and you're just a nobody playing a no, nowhere gig, um, you know, you're you're being judged all the time. So it actually gets easier as you go up, Jay. That's what I think anyway. You know, watching the documentary Rock and Roll Machine from Banger Films. Obviously, I don't want to give up too much because I, I want the listeners to see and, and uh, have that opportunity. But one of the things that or the biggest thing that I felt during the documentary was the sense of reflection especially from you going through the warehouse, going through these boxes of things and seeing things that maybe you had forgotten about, or maybe it it jarred a memory or two from what that was. What was that experience like when you really started to dive into all that material and all those things when doing this documentary? It doesn't strike me as someone, you're someone that does that a lot. So maybe having to do this for this film was a special experience for you. Yeah, you're you're dead right because uh, you know the things that I'm working on now. Like I have a I'm a software company that's got a music product, and you know of course Metalworks, which most people know about and things. So I'm always you know I'm working on music education. So I'm doing things that are they're in the future, and I don't spend a lot of time you know going back. So truthfully, you're right. It was a cathartic experience digging through all that history. And initially, when we met with the directors. And uh, they they said it was funny because I think it was the last time they took input from us was the first time as well. And they said, well, what would you guys what would you guys be, uh, you know, think should be in this documentary? And, you know, I was the one that said, well, let's not go through all the old stuff. I mean, nobody cares about that. And yet it was a very it was a very (laughs) 
it was a, 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 a I was way off the mark when I said that because when I subsequently thought about what I like about other documentaries or I don't like, like that's the kind of stuff that you really want to do is you want to get into that closet and find out all this, this old stories and, and cool stuff that you, that you didn't know. So for me being pushed into that, let's say by the directors, like, come on, Gil, let's go up in the attic. Let's dig through these boxes. Tell me these stories from the very beginning, all of that stuff. uh, Once I got into it, I thought, okay, it all just it all just came out, and it was like a, a trip down memory lane and a history lesson for me. I never knew how they would construct it in the film. I thought their their editing was brilliant. Like we've been we've been overwhelmed with the response to the film. We have we've had just no nothing but great response, and and from people that aren't necessarily even uh, hardcore fans, just people that have just watched it for the movie's sake. I mean, of course, your fans are going to go, oh, it's great. But, you know, people that are on the fringes or whatever, um, I guess a lot of that digging through ancient history and all the unknown stuff was probably impactful for them. When you started to reconnect with all this stuff, you know, was there you mentioned the initial resistance? I don't know if we call it resistance, but maybe just lack of of knowing how much the fans you know, really wanted to connect with it. Maybe you really wanted to connect with it, too, but maybe it didn't it wasn't top of mind for you, you know, but, you know, once you started to go into all that stuff, was there anything that you had forgotten about that revisited sparked all these memories and, you know, started to think back of more and more things? Cause sometimes when you do have that experience, it starts to jar things that you had completely forgotten about, you know I mean? In our own personal life, you have those experiences where you start talking about something and then within a few hours, you're remembering this and remembering that and you completely forgot about it. Was that an experience too as well? Yeah. You know, Jay, what was really funny was that when Mike and Rick and I were interviewed together and there was quite a bit of that, there were the individual interviews, but there was the three guys together. And what you don't really see what's on the cutting room floor is the three of us arguing about what really happened and not arguing in a bad way, but arguing in a funny way. And, you know, so, so one of us would be telling a story, we'd be going down the story. And then the next, if say it's me telling the story, the next thing, you know, Mike is like, no, 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 that's different. That was in Chicago. That was in Cleveland. What are you talking about? And then Rick is like, no, 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 no. It wasn't in Cleveland. I was in Detroit. I remember, you know, don't you remember when blah, blah, blah. So it was like, literally like, you know, Curly Larry and Mo, so funny how everybody's memory on certain things was just off. There was bits and pieces of the story. And then, of course, at a certain point, it would go back and forth. And then somebody would win the argument. It would be like, okay, all right, you're right. Okay, that's where that happened. You know, that's when you fell off stage, you know, or that's when. (laughs) And usually what we were talking about is some crazy anecdote, like falling off a stage or something like that, you know. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, Jay. Oh, I can imagine. When you are going through this experience and you look back when Triumph ended, you know, um, the last time you guys played, um, and you felt, yeah, I'm sure that at that point there was a sense of making sense of it all, like what Triumph meant to you personally, what Triumph meant to music, you know, went to rock in, in the late 70s and 80s. When you when you go through this experience of making this documentary, does that position or that those thoughts in your mind 
Do they get redefined? Do you have a different perspective now that you've had so much time away from it and going through this experience? I think I do. I mean, the film, I think, was so well shot and well directed and well scripted that it has a narrative where I'm looking at it almost looking in through the looking glass going, gee, you know, that is that that's the story. And and I was there, but I was so I was too close to the story. And when I when I actually watched the film, it's like being a passenger on the bus and not driving the bus. Very interesting seeing a career of a band defined in a film like that and uh by someone else. And it's almost like, yeah, I saw all those puzzle pieces. They were all lying around uh, on the kitchen table, but I could never have imagined assembling those puzzle pieces and creating that that picture. I don't know if that's, you know, uh, a good metaphor or analogy, but uh, that's what it felt like to me, I would say, when I when I first saw it. We always had those, those experiences that once we're farther removed from something, you know, you, you gain a different perspective. Um, you have the, you know, with this, with this experience of the documentary, you revisit these things with everyone else that has a different perspective too, you know, and, and it's, it's nice to see how those perspectives are shared, whether it's the three of you or whether it's the director who has their perception. Um, how did that all merge together, you know, or, 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 was it necessary to have them merge together? Was it important to have all those perspectives laid out like that? I think the thing that was the most valuable was uh, letting them have creative control. Like I think if Mike or Rick or myself had tried to control it, it, it the outcome wouldn't have been nearly as good. And uh, I joke now with Sam Dunn when I'm talking to him on calls and stuff. And if I ever start disagreeing with him on something, I'll go, well, I've learned my lesson. I don't disagree with Sam Dunn on anything because he's always right. <laughs> and I think it's, it's just, it's simple, Jay. It's, it's, it's really that, that, that's what his, well, that's what he's good at. You know, he's good at being a director, you know, and, and, and Mark Riccardelli, I got to say, Mark is, is the, he's just an unbelievable editor, the way he can take the bits and pieces of film and stories and photos and, and chunks of animation and tell a story is just a phenomenal, phenomenal skill. And I, you know, also Don Allen, you know, contributed, he was one of the producers, but he was, you know, triumphs video director and he contributed a lot uh, creatively. Uh, Ralph Chapman, who, who, who wrote it um, great, great storyteller. And um, and initially when we started, uh, we had another writer, Peter Goddard from Toronto. And Peter's perspective on Triumph has always been, I think, different and uh, and and very um, perceptual uh, in in into areas that I don't think the three band members really had a lens into. So there was a lot of people, you know, that contributed ideas. Uh, you know, n- none as much as the, as the two directors, of course, but there were a lot of other uh, influences. Mike, Rick and Gill had a little bit of influence. We had a little bit of uh, input, a little bit of say, but uh, I think really, you know, if I was giving advice to another band and they were, they said, 
you know, we're going to have a documentary, I'd say, well, tell the band to stay out of it. Just, just, just let the directors do their thing because you guys are way too close to the storyline and let them find, let them find the good elements of the story that are worth telling and weave it together into the narrative that they can see, you know? Was that hard to allow someone to tell Triumph's story? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm a, I'm a control freak. I would admit that. So, you know, I always have a tendency to want to control things. And this was, this was one where I just had to go, well, Gil, you know, sit down and shut up, put your seatbelt on and whatever happens, happens. For me growing up, I mentioned, you know, the music from Triumph at a very young age. Again, a lot of it was fed to me because of my older brother. But we had a radio station here in Chicago called WMET that uh, was just a fantastic rock radio station. And I just remember hearing Rock and Roll Machine. And I remember hearing World of Fantasy and Laid on the Line and all these great Triumph songs. And then watching the Us Festival. And then about a year or so later, it's hard to kind of remember the time right now, but being in the car with my mother and making sure she had WMET on and hearing Spellbound for the first time. And the intro, I mean, as a kid growing up in that Star Wars generation with all that, you know, stuff going on, those effects going on in the beginning, I was like, whoa, what is this? And after the song was over, though, that's the new Triumph song from the new album, Thunder 7. And I'm like, oh, I got to save my paper route money for this. This is incredible. But just experiencing that and then watching the Us Festival and watching you guys along with all these other bands and seeing that crowd and just be, I don't know if I was more amazed by the performances or just the crowd. Seeing that many people um, was just breathtaking. And, you know, your performance to me was a big highlight of that, that day. How did you guys get involved with that? I mean, I know the documentary kind of tells that story, but how did you find yourselves on that bill? Yeah, the um, when it got put together originally, so we worked with Bill Graham Presents, and Bill Graham was, uh, you know, rest his soul. Like he was the biggest promoter in in San Francisco, and in you know other air, tertiary areas in California. And we also worked with Barry Fay at Fayline in Denver, and he was the biggest promoter there. And and it 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 bounced between those two promoters uh, when Steve when Waz decided to do this. So we had these two, you know, experts uh, involved, and and of course our agents, our agent uh, Troy got a, got approached, uh, you know, for us to play on the festival. He called me up, told me about it, and uh, it, it sounded kind of strange because Waz had this concept of us, um, which is interesting considering what's going on right now with Russia because part of that us concept was he, he, he had this vision that he wanted to broadcast this music kind of worldwide over satellites. And I remember him saying he wanted to like see the Americans and the Russians actually sharing the same music, you know, which um, it's, it's ironic considering, you know, where we're at right now with what's going on in Ukraine, the horrible stuff. So uh, I was intrigued by his story and uh, the fact that they wanted to video the whole thing again, back to being a control freak that didn't set well with me. Um, I just didn't want, I just didn't want the show to be, to be uh, recorded. And then finally uh, I kind of relented 
but I negotiated our, our contract so that we, we owned all the footage. And all we did was we, we licensed back like a broadcast for the showtime uh, for that one window for them to broadcast the show. But that's why we were able to do a DVD, um, you know, years later. We were the only band that owned all our footage, uh, both audio and, and video. That was just something that was, I don't know, it was just just how I did things with the band. I wasn't going to give up any triumph, anything to anybody. Um so it's 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 funny we have a we have a, a CD now and um and a DVD of our of our performance that day but um yeah back to answering your question I I think with Waz I was just I really thought he was very sincere you know a lot of times when you get you know promoters that aren't really promoters you know they turn out to be you know you know wild men or hucksters or or whatever which Waz is not Waz is totally genuine we've been friends ever since lifelong friends really and um you know and the two promoters that he worked with were the best in the business you know with with uh you know bill graham and his team and 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 barry fay and his team you you know when you when i watched the documentary another thing that struck me was how forward thinking you were in doing a lot of things for triumph at the very beginning um you know the way you the way you really navigated the band throughout its career um where did all that come from in terms of knowing what to knowing where to go with the band what to do with the band i mean the story with macy hall and the and the documentary and the next thing you know you're playing a hockey arena not a lot of bands are able to do that not a lot of bands have the balls to do that um and and that was a lot came from you in in saying hey why not instead of asking the question why it seemed like you were always asking why not yeah, I don't I don't know what happened, Jay, but back to the earlier part in our interview where I was talking about, you know, not being that, you know, we deserve to be out there guy. I was always kind of shy and uh fit in better behind the scenes. But once we got on a roll, like I was saying, when we were playing bigger and bigger venues, all of a sudden, you know, that that you know wind got in our sails. And and I started to feel like, hey, you know what? If you don't ask, you don't get. And Mike was a really great, you know, kind of catalyst for big thinking. So Mike and I would kind of fill each other's heads full of helium a lot of the time. And we knew we were doing it. And and Rick would be listening to us and he'd be going, man, you guys talk a big game. And, and, and Mike and I would go, well, yeah, well, you know, we're full of it, but, you know, this is how you this is how you stoke the fire right you got to dream big so we would just keep pushing this 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 envelope in our own mind and um we had a joke for it after we after we'd uh, you know blow a bunch of smoke in our own faces and stuff we'd kind of look at each other and laugh and go what would led zeppelin do and and the what would led zeppelin do remark was uh, you know, kind of if all else, if all else failed, because we just love Led Zeppelin and they and they did such, you know, Peter Grant made such outrageous demands, and they you know and they come before us and we admired their music, and we just would kind of picture Peter Grant in our mind and he'd be going he'd be asking something completely ridiculous for Led Zeppelin like you know or demanding something that was just completely you know un, unattainable or whatever. So that's how we would get that kind of chutzpah 
is is we we get that that fire burning and then go yeah yeah what would Led Zeppelin do and <laughs> so Mike and I were we were a good kind of ham and egg team yeah uh, you know and I think I, that's got, I, I have to start living came from I have to start living by that that mantra what would Led Zeppelin do whenever I'm faced with <laughs> with a question you know or or how to proceed with something you know. Whether it's raising a teenager or, or something, you know, during my DLF, what would Led Zeppelin do in this situation? I think that might be uh, a, a way to uh, proceed. You know, it's funny. I, I think it was Bobby Knight that that uh, when you hear players being interviewed and the, the player, I'm just trying to get some confidence. I'm just trying to get some confidence. They say that a lot in golf, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a big golf fan. And, uh, and he said, confidence is bullshit. You know, it's doing it is where confidence comes from. And I think that was what happened with triumph. It's kind of like the proof was in the pudding when we would come up with some of these ideas, but we could actually pull them off and people would respond. And the, you know, the crowds got bigger and the cheers got louder and all that stuff. And you kind of, at a certain point, that's, that's your, uh, that's your, uh, reassurance that actually some of your 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 dreams or your or your aspirations aren't just completely puffery you know that there's actually some meat on the bone as we close here the question i have you know watching this is there now an appetite between the three of you to maybe do something down the road and play tour make music again well we first of all you know we're we're good friends and we see each other so you know, we have dinner every so often, but you know, our lives have changed. And I, 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 is there an appetite? Yeah, I would say there is. And yet, because things uh, are are so different for us, like you know, the I, I'm really very, very busy with the career because I'm still uh, I'm working with my uh, my kids now. So um, you know, I'm, I'm a lucky parent. Uh, being able to to work with my family is. Uh, uh, a fantastic experience every day. And, you know, Rick's got things in his life and Mike's got things in his life. So the idea of getting together for a tour, we did it in 2008, as you probably know. And we just said, Hey, let's bring out the kids. Let's bring out the wives and let's, you know, let's go play some big festivals. And, uh, you know, we did a big one in, in down by Dallas and we did the one in uh, a big one, big one in Sweden. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Enjoyed being back on stage and all that, but, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a sort of a firm believer and you got to keep, you know, turning over new stones in, in, in life and doing new things. So I'm so pumped about the things I'm doing right now to go kind of back in time. Um, I wish I could maybe split myself in half and, and be able to have that much more bandwidth to do things, but I uh, I'm, I'm not optimistic that it's going to happen. What I'm hoping is, that there may be an opportunity that I haven't thought of, Rick hasn't thought of, and Mike hasn't thought of to maybe participate in something together. Um, the one thing I will say, Jay, is that uh, Metalworks, we have a, a you know a, a pretty strong technology side of our company, and we're working on a new type of uh, mixed reality concert concept. And uh, if if this comes to fruition, the first uh, band that we're going to put out is going to be triumph. And, and uh, so I am guardedly optimistic that this is going to happen. We, we got kind of knocked out of the chair for the last two years, like everybody else did with COVID. Uh, we were making a lot of progress and got slowed down, but uh, the, the heat starting to, to build back up among our team 
Um, we have some technology that's just completely unbelievable. And the difference in, in, in this mixed reality tour is I, I wouldn't have to go on the road, and which for me is like, okay, I'm all in if I don't have to go on the road. And I know that sounds like, well, what kind of triumph tour could it be if you guys aren't out there? But l- let me just say it would be honestly better than anything we ever did in the past. Hmm. And uh, people would come out and go, you know what, this is better than seeing the three guys live. So that I, I don't want to I don't want to give too much away, but uh, we're working very hard on that mixed reality uh, technology, and it's it's pretty exciting stuff. That is interesting. I can't wait to see where this goes with you guys. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure we'll have doubters, but you know, we we've had doubters before about different sure. things we said we were going to do, and we pulled them off. So who knows? Can we pull another rabbit out of the hat? Maybe. <laughs> It's going to be fun trying, Jay. That's all I can say. Hey, you know, that's part of the journey, right? Is the, is the fun when you get there, you know, or while you're getting there. And, it is. Uh, it yeah. is, my friend. Um, I, I just laughed when you said prior in the interview, it's stoking the fire. And I said, well, in Triumph's case, it's stoking the torch. <laughs> and for those who will uh, watch the documentary at some point, you will know what I'm talking about by that comment. <laughs> which, which, by the way, cannot happen in present day. It cannot no, happen. You are so right. I mean, that was just a different, a different place and a different time. And, you know, to think about that, you know, because what you're referring to, which we won't let the cat out of the bag, but it's a totally true story and it would never happen today. No, so. that's what I, when I was watching, I'm like, yeah, I could never do that. Just, yeah, <laughs> randomly, you know, do something like that. That, that would be, there'd be. ATF and police and SWAT surrounding. That's right. You'd be in jail pretty fast. <laughs> exactly. Well, Gil, it's been a great conversation, a great time chatting with you. Thank you again for doing this. It's been a it's been a blast. Hey, my pleasure, uh, Jay. It's great talking about uh, great talking about Triumph. Great talking about music. My favorite subject. So mine too. Very nice talking to you. Awesome, well, everybody. That's Gil Moore, singer drummer from Triumph. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Mini Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We will talk soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.